In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 114. This psalm has no title, and as to the author of this psalm, there have been various opinions. Some believe that this psalm was originally written at the site of the River Jordan, at the Gilgal, after the crossing over of the children of Israel to the Promised Land. You know, the children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness of Sinai, then crossed the River Jordan to enter the Promised Land. So some believe that this psalm was written after they crossed the River Jordan. Others believe it is written to honor the three young men in the furnace of fire in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some believe it was written to honor Queen Esther and her cousin Mordechai, because they believe that in the story of Queen Esther and Mordechai, God did glorious wonders with his children, both on personal level and on the level of the whole congregation, whole people. Because this psalm speaks about the wonderful God who does wonders in our life. Maybe it was written when the three young men were in the furnace of fire or to honor Esther and Mordechai, but most probably it was written after they crossed the river Jordan. There are six psalms called the Egyptian Halil. Halil, from word Halilu, Sabihu, praise. Why they call it Egyptian? Because they celebrate or they praise God for their exodus from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. So these psalms are from 113 to 118. 113 to 118, eight, six psalms. This psalm is considered the second after 113 of the series of psalms known as Egyptian Halil and sung as part of Israel Passover ceremony. When they used to celebrate the Passover, Passover actually is the Passover lamb that they killed on their exodus from Egypt. That's why every year when they celebrate the Passover, they chant the Egyptian Halil and this psalm is chanted also. The subject matter of this psalm belongs to the period of the return. It speaks about the return and focus on the reason of praise by summarizing Israel's redemption by God. But which return? Actually, we have two major returns in the history of Israel. One return is the exodus from Egypt, Israel exodus from the oppression of the Egyptian. The second return is the deliverance of Israel from Babylon as a second exodus, as a new birth of the nations after they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. This psalm contains a short account of that deliverance, mainly the deliverance from Egypt, by which God, in bringing his people out of Egypt, and leading them to the promised land, gave a proof of his power 
and grace which ought to be held in everlasting remembrance. This exodus from Egypt, the journey in the wilderness of Sinai, the entrance into the promised land, we should remember it all the times for everlasting because it reminds us with the power of God, His grace, His mercy, His wonders that He does in our life. Also, at the time of the captivity, it was natural to dwell on the great memories of the past as an encouragement for the present and the future. Like when I go through a difficult time, I start to reflect, but God did this with me. In, in this situation, God did not leave me. All these actually great memories encourage me, give me hope that as God delivered me in the past, he will deliver me right now. The Exodus or the return celebrated by the psalmist here becomes also a symbol for another. What is the other Exodus? It is our deliverance from Satan, our deliverance when the Lord died on the cross from the captivity of Satan. Since the subject matter of this psalm is the return of the children of Israel, it is a symbol of our spiritual redemption by Christ. This psalm presents to us a magnificent and joyful portrayal of the exodus of the people of Israel as a symbol of the exodus of the whole humanity out of the bondage of the real Pharaoh who is the devil. How God actually were in, in bondage under the devil, but God actually as St. Paul said, let the captivity captive. We actually chant part of the psalm in the Feast of Theophany in the Liturgy of the Water. So this psalm proceeds the reading of the Gospel of the Liturgy of the Blessing of the Water of the Theophany Feast to proclaim God's authority over the water as we read together. It is a psalm of praise without the usual invitation to praise. Usually the psalms of praise start by praise the Lord, so inviting all the people to praise. So here it starts explaining the great wonders done by God without the initial invitation to all the people to praise God. This psalm is a very short psalm, only eight verses. From verse 1 to 4, it speaks about God, the mighty leader. Verse 5 to 8, nature submission to God. How all the nature submit to God. So let's start from verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange language. So he's saying, when Israel came out from Egypt in the Exodus, when the house of Jacob came out from a people of a strange language, what happened? Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. So verse 1 and 2, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, He separated them from all other nations. 
Because the whole world were worshipping idols. God actually separated Israel because this was the only nation still worship God. So he separated them from all other nations to be holy people over which God himself planned to rule. So the Psalms open by recalling the exodus of Israel from the Egyptian oppression until its entry into the promised land. And when they entered the promised land, Judah, Israel, became God's sanctuary, the place of his presence in the midst of his people. Of course, God present everywhere. But when we speak about the presence of God, means this presence that accompanied by miracles, accompanied by wonders, to actually make the whole earth confess that the Lord is the true God. God actually chose Israel to be his holy nation, to be his sanctuary, to dwell among them. So in these two verses, the psalmist moves from Egypt to the promised land. In Egypt, God's supposed absence, again, absence means what? Doesn't mean God did not exist. God exists everywhere. But absence, people did not feel his presence. To God's obvious presence, we see he thundered on the Mount Sinai. He split the Red Sea. He split the Jordan River. He brought water out of the rock. The presence of God was so obvious to everyone. Even if you remember, Rahab said to the two spies, we heard about the God of Israel. We heard what he did in the Red Sea. We heard what he did with Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. They heard about God. His presence was obvious, manifest, clear. So Israel's deliverance from Egypt was the central act of redemption under the Old Covenant. When they want to remember how God redeemed his people, they recall the Exodus. In the Passover, they recall the Exodus. This was constantly remembered and celebrated. And this psalm was chanted in this celebration. For us, the Christian, the work of Jesus at the cross, Jesus is our Passover lamb, and the empty tomb became the central act of redemption. That's why all the time we remember how the Lord saved us from the bondage of Satan. And he delivered us, as he delivered Israel from Egypt, he delivered us from the bondage to Satan. We are likewise called to constantly remember and celebrate what God did to set us free by dying on the cross for us. Why he said here, the house of Jacob from a people of his strange language? You know, Israelites lived among the Egyptians how many years? 400 years. Definitely during these 400 years, they learned some Coptic words and they were communicating with them 
how Moses and Aaron was communicating with Pharaoh. So definitely 400 years people learned the language. But why here he is speaking a people of strange language? The emphasis here on the idea that Israel did not belong to Egypt. As we do not belong to this world. Though they left there for 400 years, it was never their home. In the divine liturgy, we say, and we who are sojourners in this place, regardless how many years we live, but we are strangers here, because our citizenship where is in heaven. Our home where is in heaven. So here the emphasis, not on the language, but the emphasis that we are strange, we don't belong. As Israel, although 400 years they did not belong to Egypt, in the same way we don't belong here. This world is a place of a people of strange language for us, for all whom Christ redeemed. So those who are redeemed by God, they don't speak the language of the world. As St. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. St. Augustine says, whenever Egypt is mentioned, it means sorrow. He doesn't mean the word Egypt means sorrow, but means when we remember what happened to the Israelites, the oppression in Egypt, this actually a sorrowful event, the oppression in the land of Egypt or who bring forth sorrow, who applies the pressure. It is mostly used as a symbol of this world, from which we are committed to come out, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, come out from among them. We don't belong to this world. Spiritually, we need to come out, not to be unequally yoked together with an And here he used Israel and Jacob in verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Why he used the word house of Jacob? A name appropriately used here since it was the family of Jacob that had gone down into Egypt. I'm sure you remember when Joseph was in Egypt and there was a famine, and then Jacob and all his children went and lived in Egypt. This family of Jacob increased in in the number to these great numbers in the land of Egypt over the 400 years. Then in verse 2, he used the word Judah and Israel. As you know, during Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the 12 tribes were divided into two kingdoms. The kingdom of Judah, it has two tribes, the tribe of Judah and Levi, and the 10 other called the kingdom of Israel. The scholars start to say in verse 2 when he said Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Did the psalmist mean the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel? And if this was written just after crossing the Jordan River, this kingdom did not exist. That's why some scholars believe that Judah does not mean the kingdom of Judah, because it did not exist at that time. That embraced 
the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Israel does not mean the northern kingdom that embraced the ten remaining tribes, but the whole people came under God's special protection. So when he said Judah, he means the whole twelve tribes. When he said Israel, it refers to the twelve tribes. But why he used Judah, not any other tribe? Why the tribe of Judah? Because Judah was the leading tribe. Recognize it as the tribe where power was to be concentrated. And according to the prophecy by Jacob before his departure that we read it in Genesis 49, Jacob prophesied that the Messiah was to come from the descendant of Judah. That's why the name was early used to denote the entire people, the 12 tribes. Also, Israel doesn't mean the northern kingdom, nor, nor Judah, the kingdom of Judah. St. John Chrysostom asked, what is the meaning Judah became his holy sanctuary? St. John, John Chrysostom answered, his sanctuary means a people serving God, a people dedicated to him, people belonging to him. And according to St. Augustine, Judah means confession. So St. Augustine says, by confession, repentance and confession, the believers get cleansed and purified to become God's sanctuary. So in repentance and confession, we are purified, cleansed, so become the sanctuary of God. And Israel, his dominion, he said, when they moved to the promised land, Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel became his dominion. His dominion means what? The nation that God ruled, the nation that had his law, the nation that God governed by his presence, and the nation of which he was the recognized king. Verse 3, that's what we read in the Theophany Feast. The sea saw it and fled, which sea, the Red Sea. Jordan turned it back. God's way of accomplishing that miracle was so wonderful that the, the forces of nature, the foundations of the created order reacted in astonishing way. And here the psalmist personified nature and described it as responding to God in fear and reverence. When he says, the sea saw, of course the sea doesn't see, it doesn't have eyes, but he personified the sea. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned it back. So the psalmist personified the nature and described it as responding to God in fear and reverence. Here he mentioned the parting of the waters, how the water was divided at both sea, Red Sea, which is the Red Sea, and the Jordan River. The Red Sea was at the beginning of the journey, just immediately after they left Egypt, and Jordan at the end of Israel's journey to the Promised Land, to enter the Promised Land. The Red Sea of the Exodus from Egypt and the Jordan of the entry to the Holy Land or the Promised Land are personified. 
and transform it into witnesses, instruments in the hand of God that have a part in the liberation done by God, liberation of Israel that done by God. At the beginning in the Exodus, the sea rolls back to allow Israel to pass. At the end of the journey through the Sinai Desert, the Jordan turns back its course, leaving like leaving the bed, its bed, the bed of the Jordan River dry, so that the procession of the children of Israel can cross over. St. John Chrysostom notes the importance of the expression used in this psalm. He says, He did not say it yielded or it gave ground, but what? The sea saw it and fled. When we say that this person fled, means he ran quickly. So the psalmist did not say the sea yielded or the sea gave ground. Why? He wanted by flight to emphasize the speed of yielding, the degree of astonishment, the ease of God's beneficent action. And St. John Chrysostom continue and say, in case you think this happened at a certain period of time, for example, it took six months, no, or by chance, no, it has not happened since then. It did not happen since the Exodus that we saw the Red Sea or any other sea split or the Jordan River, but only once when God so directed. All those carried symbolic meanings, which were realized and still are realized when men receive faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are the symbolic? The sea, see the waves, the storm of the sea, it reminds us with the world, stormy world, evil, Satan. All these fled before God, the world, the evil, and Satan. And the river represents of the love of material things. When you are so thirsty and you drink from the river, quench your thirst. This thirst for materialism, Again, it turned it back from the believer, love of God. When we have the love of God, then the love of materialism will run away from our hearts. The River Jordan is turning back, may also point to the grace of baptism. The, the water of baptism when receives the repentant believer, when the Holy Spirit dwells on him, so the water trembled, the water of the baptistry, baptismal font tremble. Verse 4, after he spoke about the Red Sea and the Jordan, he spoke about the mountain, mainly mountain Sinai. The mountains is kept like rams, the little hills like lambs. So the psalmist mentioned the beginning of the Exodus, Red Sea, and the end of the journey, the river, Jordan. So what in the center in between the wilderness of Sinai? So now in verse 4 he's speaking about Sinai. It is now the mountains in Sinai that participates in the great divine revelation which takes place on their hilltops. The psalmist likened them to living creature, like rams or lambs, 
they skipped an exalt. They seem as if they moved from one place to another place. Everything as if it is unsettled. And they acknowledge the presence of the omnipotent God. The idea skipped like rams carries also the thought of joy. The mountain skipped like rams. بالعربي قفزت اللي بيقطنطة دائب فرحان so here the idea the joy thought of joy most probably the reference here when God descended on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments to Moses if you read it in Exodus chapter 19 what happened thundering, commotion on the peaks of Sinai when God came down to deliver the law then verse 5, also we read it in Theophany. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountain, that you skipped like rams? O little hills like lambs? The past, what happened in Sinai, now became present to the psalmist mind. He started to challenge the nature, the sea, the mountains, to explain their behavior. Why you thundered? Why the Red Sea you split? Why the water in the Jordan River? So he's asking the nature this question with a very vivid personification. The psalmist now asks the mountains about the reason of their confusion when God descended to give the law to Moses. What did you see? What did you feel? Which caused you to flee in such haste? And ask the Jordan, what does it mean that you did not continue to flow as usual? What was it that stopped you, your flowing tide, that cut off your waters, that drove them back faster than they came? And now he's addressing the mountains. Oh, mountains! What caused these trembling motions and quaking and moving like the skipping of rams? Then he's asking the little hills, O little hills like lambs, what was it that disturbed you and put you into a panic that you skipped like frightened lambs? So the confusion of the mountains and the hills was a startled adoration in the presence of God. They are giving glory to God, adoration to God, God of Israel, an act of glorious exaltation of the transcendent and saving God. So these questions are put by a beautiful figure to lifeless creatures, the Red Sea, the River Jordan, the mountain of Sinai and Horeb, the hills about them. Now in verse 7 and 8, he gives the answer to this question. Verse 7, he says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. When God descends, definitely the earth will tremble. They were powerless to stand against the mighty presence of God. They felt his presence. That's why they trembled. It is even more foolish to think that we, mankind, can stand against God's mighty presence. 
The earth has filled the presence of God and has trembled and has done right to tremble before God. The presence that has made itself felt is the presence of the God of Jacob, as he said, at the presence of the God of Jacob. What does it mean, God of Jacob? The God who watches over Jacob, who cares about Jacob, and will help and protect him constantly. Again, as I explained, this is not to be understood of the general and common presence of God, which is everywhere, and with all his creatures. God exists and is present everywhere. But when he says the presence of God, he means when God actually appeared with wonderful phenomena, either in literal sense or spiritual sense, literally when there was thunder and like earthquake in the presence of God. He's speaking here about this majestic, powerful, and gracious presence of God, as God sometimes goes to attend to his minister, to his servant, to his word, to his church, to his martyr, to his confessors, and sometimes to strike an awe upon and terror into the heart of the greatest enemies, as well as to convert his own people. Here, of course, God exists everywhere, but when we speak about the presence of God, it is this majestic, powerful, and gracious presence of God. Verse 8, last verse, he remembered another thing that happened in Sinai. Who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. So the psalmist remembered one more event which demonstrated God's power over creation during Exodus year, when God brought forth water for his people from the rock and the hardened flint. The flint is another name of the rock used here to describe the greatness of the miracle. St. John Chrysostom says, Tell me, what excuse do we still have? Why are we so cruel and not submissive? When even the solid and hard rock and the flint have submitted to the command of God, why is it that the human being, with what he was given of reason, surpassing any other creature, is so no responsive? So you see, if the whole creation are responsive to God, submissive to him, we who have the reason, have the intellect, why we are not submissive to God? Also, verse 8 assures the people of God that his mighty presence work for them, not against us. Sometimes powerful people in the world, they use their power to suppress others, to take advantage of others, to abuse others. But God, his power is to empower us, to protect us. It works for our benefit. God's great power and might are not merely for the dividing waters and the shaking of mountains, but his majestic mind bring blessing to his people, like the pool of water or the fountain of water blessing. It denotes not merely 
a historic fact, but an attribute expressed in the term of historic fact. The historic fact, water came out of the rock. But what does it mean? Blessing will come to us, fountains of blessing. He who made water flow from the rock in Rafadim and the cliff in Qadish can still provide streams of blessings for his people. The same almighty power that turned water into a rock to be wall to Israel when they crossed the Red Sea, the water became like a wall. So as if God reversed here, the water became rock, wall, and then turned the rock into waters to be a well to Israel. God made the water wall and the rock to be well to Israel. As they were protected, so they were provided for. So this gesture acquired a symbolic meaning. What is the symbol of this? It's a sign of the saving love, saving love of the Lord, who sustains and regenerates humanity as it advances through the desert of the history. So God here support us and sustain us. Especially St. Paul said, Zarak is Christ. So if the rock is Christ, then the waters is the blessing that comes from Christ. The rock was a type of Christ, as we read in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Commenting on the exodus of Israel from Egypt, scholar origin says, don't think that it was only then that Moses led people out of Egypt. Now, too, we have Moses with us. Moses represents the law, the word of God. So he said, as Moses led the people out of Egypt, so the law of God wants to bring you out of Egypt, the land of slavery, slavery to sin. If you listen to the word of God, it wishes to distance you from, uh, from Pharaoh, from the devil. It does not want you to remain in the dark actions of the flesh, but to go out into the desert, that you reach a place apart from the disturbances and instability of the world. So in Egypt, as if that is the dark actions of the flesh, when we go into the desert, away from all these pleasures of the world, that's a place away from disturbance and instability of the world. That you reach stillness and silence. So God, you can feel the presence of God. So when you have arrived in this place of calm, stillness and silence, there you can sacrifice to the Lord. Sacrifice yourself, praises, offering. Recognize the law of God and the power of the divine voice. Taking up the Punin image that calls to mind the crossing of the sea, Origen continues, scholar Origen, he says, the apostles calls this a baptism because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, St. Paul said the children of Israel were baptized in the Red Sea. 
So St. Paul calls the crossing the Red Sea is a baptism. Realize it in Moses, in the cloud and in the sea. So that you too, who have been baptized in Christ, in water and in the Holy Spirit, may know that the Egyptians are pursuing you, like how Pharaoh pursued Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. So when we are baptized, the demons are pursuing us and want to reclaim you to serve them, reclaim you to live in sin again, namely the rulers of this world and the evil spirits to whom you were first enslaved. They will certainly seek to follow you, but you will go into the water and escape unharmed. So as Pharaoh is drowned with all his armies in the Red Sea, in the same way the demons will drown when we are baptized. And having washed away in baptism the stains of sin, you will come out as a new man ready to sing the new song. Because after they crossed the Red Sea, they chanted a new song. Let us praise the Lord for whose glory he is glorified. That is the first host in midnight prayer. Psalm 114 ends without giving any specific instruction. So this psalm in eight verses just mentions the wonders of God. So no specific instruction to people of God, but simply declares his great work. We again remind ourselves that Jesus probably sang this psalm together with his disciple on the night he was betrayed and arrested, because on that night he ate the Passover. And as I told you, this psalm was chanted after eating the Passover. Most probably when you read in the four Gospels that after they ate, they praised, and then they went to Gethsemane. So these praises were this sixth psalm from 113 to 118. So most probably the Lord chanted this psalm on Thursday, Covenant Thursday. He would grant the people of God a greater deliverance than Israel out of Egypt. So he chanted this psalm to go to Gethsemane, then to the court, then to the cross, to deliver us and to grant us greater deliverance than the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. God's presence within his people today will preserve them following their personal exodus from the sin of Egypt and Red Sea baptism, giving them a spiritual drink from the divine rock. God, each one of us, he will deliver him from his sins as the exodus from Egypt. And as he brought water for the people to drink, after we are baptized, God will give us spiritual drink, spiritual blessing from the divine rock. This concludes Psalm 114. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.